What's up, humans? Welcome to episode 41 of the Human Music Podcast, Alter Loves Learning. This week, our guest is Alter, a Seattle-based artist, vocalist, producer, engineer, and videographer who has released over 40 tracks of his own music that have racked up millions of total streams, as well as producing and engineering for other artists on his scene and shooting, directing, and editing music videos for himself and others. It is clear from our conversation that Alter loves learning, and that's part of what makes him so prolific. On this episode, we dive into advice for producers who want to learn visual art, accelerating learning and memory, sparking creativity, building confidence, and keeping the process fun. A note, Alter was experiencing internet issues during the recording, so there were some huge gaps and glitchy moments where you hear him talking through the Matrix. I did my best to edit out those bits while keeping the substance of this incredible conversation intact. So thanks for excusing the slight technical difficulties because Alter's advice is worth hearing a little bit of distortion. Please support our sponsors like the weekly download from Producer Dojo, which has access to over 200 lessons from our mentor, Ill Gates. Also, Gangaroo Music Distribution, unlimited uploads for under $10. And Guest Practices, where you can learn from Seth Drake, the best engineer we know. Your first class is free. Those links are in the description. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Here is Alter. Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with... Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. All right. Welcome, humans. This is episode 40. What's up? I just want to say that for some reason, I have an alien hand and a human hand. Don't get too confused. Turns out, uh, if you try and pour really hot soup into a mug you're holding, it's a bad idea because you very well might miss the mug and burn (laughs) the shit out of your fingers. And the best thing I could think of to do to make that better was fill a nitrile glove full of aloe vera gel and squeeze my hand into it and tell you what that shit works. Plus then I could have the aloe on my hand and stick my hand in a bowl of ice all night last night. And it feels way better today. Uh, but I just kept doing this whole aloe glove thing. Cause you know, alien hands. <laughs> what an, what an intro. I didn't even know they made like green nitrile gloves. I thought they were all blue. Yeah, right. Turns out they got black ones and green ones, and I definitely have seen white ones. Um, I bet there's other colors. But your one hand is going to look like 10 years younger. It's going to look brand new. (laughs) I don't know, man. That might be evened out by the fact that I burnt the absolute shit out of it. Like, it really hurt. It It feels pretty fine today. But like last night, like in order to go to sleep, I actually had to put get fill another bowl with ice and like put it on the nightstand and like stick my hand in it so that I could like stop thinking about how much my hand hurt. So Doesn't I could actually fall make asleep. you pee yourself. <laughs> I think that's warm water, not ice oh, water. Okay, okay. But maybe our guest might just be an expert on that trick of how you uh, make people pee themselves at sleepovers. Maybe not, but that's not really the point. 
The awesome point is our guest today is Alter. He's a guy I've known for a long time. He's out here in Seattle where I'm at. He is a very multi-talented inter... Oh, looks like the internet is slow for you now, Alter. You gave us a little chat. So, hey, just heads up. If it glitches out a little bit, bear with us because, you know... We got to do this shit on Zoom because pandemic life. But y'all understand. But he's a very multi-talented human. He and is, basement internet. Yeah, basement <laughs> internet life. I'm with you here, man. This, this room is in the center of the house in the basement as well. But super multi-talented dude. He's an incredible producer. He's an incredible vocalist, engineer, videographer, video director, editor, all that stuff. And we're going to get into a whole bunch of it, I'm sure, today. But, you know, we don't really plan too much. So... Alter, welcome to the Human Music Podcast. I'm so excited to have you, and I really want to hear your superhero origin story. How did you get started on the path that led you to where you are in music today? Well, thank you. I'm super honored to be here, and it's so nice to chat with you guys today, and thank you for being patient with me and my, my basement internet. We're going to try to bear through. Um, I can tell you the origin story, but also I got a comment on your hand because I literally burnt my foot a month ago. Um, very similar story. I was making green tea and I dropped the whole pot of boiling water on my foot and the pot would have already hurt because of the weight of the water in the pot. But then in addition to crushing my foot, it also burned it and scorched it. And it like went through a bunch of layers of skin. It was not fun. So I wish I was intelligent enough to have thought through putting some sort of like sealant around it with aloe vera. That would have been smart. But I just ended up taking a bunch of CBD, like a hundred milligrams and just like feeling pretty good about it. But um <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey man you do it works you gotta you gotta do yeah. what you got on hand and what you what you think yeah of. yeah but i but i feel that pain i literally know exactly where you're at right now so i'm sorry yeah. i'll need to um, do a lab called i burn the shit out of my extremities yes <laughs> yes exactly with like the beat will just be sizzling bacon and then like <laughs> pop rocks yeah. that sounds great it doesn't yeah. feel great but it sounds great just, just this you know like, oh yeah um, the sound of uh, but yeah flesh. so a superhero yeah yes uh, so the superhero music story origin story or whatever i guess um i guess man there's there's a few different points where i started music and like varied through it but i, I started writing lyrics really young and I, I got a mic you know uh maybe like even 12 or 13 or something like that and i started recording and i wanted to be a rapper at the time and um, kind of went through some various journeys with that. And then someone introduced me to like FL studios and high school, 14, 15. Um, I don't know if, if any of you know, do you know, do you know, Cal Khalid? Um, yeah, he, he's, he's actually the one who introduced me to, to FL studios and gave me the first torrented copy of that. So shout out to him for that. Definitely changed the course of my life. But um, I think where things really started to take off in a different angle was I, I got a job at Guitar Center and I met this um, dude, Vitali, who we're still friends and we still work together to this day. And he basically was like, uh, liked a song that I showed him and he wanted to shoot a music video for it. And I thought, you know, okay, cool, whatever that means. This was back in like 20, maybe 2015 or 2014, maybe even earlier, maybe 20, 2012 even. And he was like, yeah, I want to do motorcycles and I want there to be drifting. And like, it was like this fast and the furious idea. And I was like, there's no way this guy's going to be able to do that. But okay. So I, you know, show up to the day of the video shoot and he's, he's literally got it all. He's got these professional drifters there, these motorcycles and everything. And, um, you know, my music was nowhere near good enough to be ready for that kind of production value, to be honest. But, uh, that situation definitely woke me up to the possibility that, 
I could, um, you know, enchant someone with my music and that they would love it enough to, to contribute to the process and, you know, like go forward from there. And so we ended up working together a lot and he, he paid for me to work at his magazine for six months. And so I could quit my day job. And he basically said, you come here, work, work an hour or two hours a day for me, and then go home and just write music for the rest of the time. So I had like almost a year where I didn't have to work a day job for long, you know, as I did do a little bit, but basically I was just getting paid to become a better producer. And in that contingency though, he said, I don't want you to be the singer for now. He said, for now you need to just produce other people. I think that's where your talent lies and I'll pay for you to, to do that. But until you, you know, get a little bit more clout and a little bit more understanding of the process, you, you should just take a time out on your vocals. And so I ended up doing that um, and getting a job at Apple. And then the first artist that I worked with that ended up having some production success was uh, Tezza Talks and Tezza Talks and yeah. I did, did the projects and we, we made some, you know, made some moves together and she, she's just a magical being. And so she really lifted my life in a, in a, in a really, 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 really profound way. And, um, it was just a crazy experience, you know, working with her and doing all that album and seeing her writing process and being that close to it. And so essentially then what happened with Alter is after we had reached a point where that was just kind of taking off, she was sort of in a little hiatus for a moment and was, you know, I, I, I'm a creator. So I was like, well, I want to keep creating. And, um, I started prototyping what would eventually become Alter by, um, just singing mumble sketches and like, you know, just really having fun. It wasn't super serious at the time or anything, but it was just kind of like getting back into doing my own vocals and feeling confident as a singer and as a writer again. And so fast forward another year or so, I started um, releasing stuff for Alter. And there was a series of very, very fortunate events that happened kind of kind of randomly. But then also I was very prepared for opportunities that ended up um, just giving me the platform that I have now to kind of create and, and be who I am. And so I am weird, though, and I am very unfocused. I I've always feel very spread thin. And that's like my gift and my curse. I'm doing a lot all the time. Um, yeah, don't ask get me, it. bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I, you know, I, I'm constantly in this balance of like trying to focus more on what I'm doing and what's working like the 80, 20 principle, but then also, um, you know, making sure that I'm providing that, I guess that energy back to the community that gave it to me. Like, I feel like I was given my friend a metaphor yesterday. I feel like a plant that was like a really lucky plant that ended up in some really awesome soil and so I've been able to grow this plant, but I, I want to make sure that I bring things back to the soil, you know, and I, I give back to this where I, where I came from and all the, the roots and everybody else that's been involved in this process and like the leaves and everything. I just like, I'm just a little stem, you know, pull, putting water up and then taking the, taking the nutrients back down and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a kind of a crazy journey and a Along the way, like I've learned a lot of different digital skills, like video and graphic editing. And I would say those are all my like secondary skills, but um, I do them well enough to like, you know, for, do them for clients and, you know, myself and my brand and, you know, make, make, make art, I guess. So just try to live in this uh, continuous creative existence and constantly just pushing the bar in whatever way seems interesting. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love, I love that metaphor about you know being a lucky plant that got put in fertile soil like having you know having those first off like having the drive to and the and the dedication at what you were doing to attract the attention of people that could help i think is something that's really important for people starting out to hear that like you don't have to have a perfect situation before you start but the more you 
put your work into it and get out there and meet people, like people will see your dedication and, you know, some people will want to help with that. And, and that's really powerful. It's that, it's that investing your energy. Like even for me now in reverse, when I see someone who's working really hard, even if they're, they're not measurably at the same, like metric level or something like their socials don't have as many followers or whatever that that's that shit doesn't matter to me sorry i don't know if we're swearing um where but, the fuck out of it son hey I'm okay um, explicit when i upload the podcast okay. cool 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 <laughs> yeah it, it, it's just like i guess having that um i kind of lost my train of thought i had a brain fart i i, I started thinking about all the swear matter. words out yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Much metrics. I guess, I guess just any, any metric though, like socials is an obvious one people will point to, but I think there's like many different ways where people could even not have their brand fully figured out yet or their style fully figured out yet, but you could see the the passion, the drive, the authenticity in someone really at any level, at any interval. And so I, when I look to invest my time with somebody, I'm not ever actually looking at the results. I'm looking at their process and I'm looking at their character and I'm trying to make assessments based on where I think like the long-term events of that character will play out. And so a lot of the people that I worked with after Teza honestly started in a capacity where we were they were hiring me for other work, like a one-off situation. But because we built up a, a professional rapport and I was able to see their character over a longer time horizon, I started feeling confident enough to invest the energy into them like pro bono, you know, with the, with the, with the sake of like, okay, we're going to do some sort of like royalty split or distribution deal on the back end but that way like there's no upfront cost because i trust you enough now and i know your character that i believe in you you know i believe that you're going to yes. do the things that you're going to multiply this energy i'm going to give this you know all this energy to you and you're going to take that and you're going to use it and go make more energy with it and then bring that back to me and then vice versa we'll just be feeding off of each other and so those are the those are really quality relationships that i think i've been fortunate enough to like be, be be on the receiving end of that a lot by a lot of different people and then um be on the giving end a lot now that i have a little bit more energy to give i can give it back and that's been been really fun yes that is so key like i think listeners can really take a lot away from that too because you know sometimes they see somebody that they look up to that is a busy person and you i hey, collab bro and yeah you know, i don't know you i've never heard of you you know, why? But if you're like, well, I need a video, you do video. It'd be a dream to work with you on music, but I can get my foot in the door by actually hiring you and paying you for the thing that is a mutually beneficial situation. I need a video. You do work for higher video. Hey, look, that's a win-win. And it started a relationship that's based on respect for your craft. Yes. Yeah. And it, it does. It, it, you're right. I mean, it, it, it's happened a lot. It really has happened a lot that way where it's just, it, if you work with somebody personally and you get in the room with them too, it's a big part of that. Like if you're in the room with somebody and you're like working on ideas, there's a definite either working energy. That's like, Oh, this is awesome. And we had a great time and we made something cool. Or maybe it was not that and you're like, Oh, that wasn't actually that fun. That was really stressful and like kind of hard. And the communication was bad. And then maybe that's not somebody you would want to invest your, your, your free energy into, you know, but then if it's uh if it is like checks all the boxes, then it's, it's just like, it, it happens very organically, I guess. It just kind of, I wake up one day and I'm like, oh shit, this person's getting free work from me now, but that's cool. You know, like it actually, it's like mutually beneficial, but it is like, it's almost like, man, like we just, we're friends now, you know, like I wouldn't have expected that. Like, so it's, it's cool. It was yes. really cool. 
and a mutual friend of ours, Sam Shoemaker, uh, like hit that yeah. category for me. Um, I didn't know him from Adam. Ryan Van Hygen hit me up and was like, yo, I know this dude. He's a super cool cat. He's coming up as a rapper and he would, he's looking for a producer to produce some of his records. And I reached out and he reached out like, Hey, good business. What's your rate? I'd love to come to your studio, make a demo, get you to make a beat and take it to the studio and record it. And he bought a few beats for me like that. And then after a while, we were just like really good friends. And I just wanted to keep hanging out with him and making music. And that's when we had that conversation. And then we made a bunch of really cool music. And then you made some incredible music videos <laughs> for those songs. And uh, I mean, that's a good segue to that. Like, man, dude, yeah. the, those three videos you made for our Grimy Gospel project, uh, for for Grimy Gospel, then for Oh yeah. Lord, and then for Sharpen My Sword. Like, oh my God, dude, those are so good. They were, those were some of like the the specifically the grimy gospel one really was a life changing experience because we got to go in with a guide into essentially like underneath I five where a lot of the homeless camps are and we got to go in and walk around and use show the like the real problems that exist right now and you know like we were trying to you know show this sort of dystopian universe. But the fact is, it's like, it's very much out there right now, you know, and uh, being being just there in that experience was was insane. I just I, I'm so grateful for for, uh, you know, the people that were uh, willing to take us in, but also just the fact that we could make that a piece of art like that. It was just like I just felt like I was the passenger, honestly, like even it just kind of was unfolding in front of us. We were like, this is the vision. And then. Um, all the opportunities just sort of presented themselves, the different locations and the different um, elements of those projects. So yeah, that was really cool. And, and Sam is, man, he's a great example of someone like that, where I, I respect his character 100%. He's very ethical and he's very direct and he's a good communicator and he's very respectful with his business practices. And I totally have just started working with him recently as well on production for the same reason, because Ooh. it's just like, yeah, you know, you just got to have that, that vibe and like, you know, he has it. So it's cool. Yeah. If anybody wants to go back, Sam was a guest here on episode 18 of the podcast. Um, so you can go back and hear a bunch of game that he drops about growing your fan base as an artist and uh, getting your, getting your music, you know, heard using uh, like Facebook to get to people to Spotify, et cetera. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear what a, a Sam Shoemaker alter collab sounds like. Cause yes soon man yeah we're shooting we're shooting the video for it actually this next weekend and i'm um, getting the artwork done so it should be in distro within a month or so yes hell yeah that's exciting man i was curious yeah. coming from the background that you have with all of these different mediums of art how often do you pull from that inspiration when you're writing music so say for example like you have this music video coming up how often do you come up with this concept for the music video first and then work that backwards into the production and then know that you're going to shoot a video for that? Totally. Yeah. I, I think the more that life will go on, the more that I'll do that because there will be more budget and resources, but how my process, at least for alter and most of the other artists that I work with right now is we focus on the song like a hundred percent of our energy almost, or even 99% of our energy. And then anything after the song, whether that be the marketing, the promotion or whatever is just in theory, less energy than we spend in the studio. And so, um, the videos, 
even though they are amazing, you know, on every one that I've ever been a part of, they are like the best that can be done with the constraints of like money and time that we have. And so I feel like with the music though, um, the music always comes out exactly how I want it now. Like I I feel like I have a hundred percent the ability to like allocate the resources to create the sound that I want. Um, but the visual, the visuals for me, you know, we just, there's only so much, you know, you can do as like a local videographer, which I would put myself in that category, even though I have a lot of after effects skills and stuff like that. I'm not a production crew. You know, we rent spaces, we figure out locations and I'm a creative director in that sense. And we can piece together the story, but most of the magic for my videos come through in post not in the actual shooting. And so um, I think one thing that is nice though, being a director and a, and a video editor and understanding all the different components of the process is once the song has been expressed, I feel like I can magnify that expression of the song in the video, even if the video isn't perfect. Um, it is very in line with the with the song. So therefore, it, it, when you're a viewer watching it, the emotional translation is enhanced. It's not detracting from the song in any way. And it's 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 very on the message. So with the um, even the records that Luke and Sam did that I shot for, it's like I, I feel like we were really trying to channel a certain emotion and they kind of communicated to me what that was. And then we went out and just tried to magnify that through the video process. So in that way, I guess like I'll, I'll sometimes have a video idea when I'm shooting or not when I'm shooting, when I'm writing, if I'm writing lyrics for myself, I'll, I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, oh, okay, this is kind of how the video could look. But it is honestly really rare that something comes out exactly how it is in my head in the video form, just because of, you know, life or whatever. But I do, th- I do think it helps a lot to understand like the cohesion of a story and a narrative and like the final product, you know, I'm, I'm putting out a record right now for my brand called my real life. And it comes out at the end of this month and I shot the video for it in my studio room and in here. And I literally just almost made it like a day in the life with me. Like what a, what a daily routine looks like my workout and my, my diet, how I'm eating, like just the random stuff, me cutting my hair, me doing my laundry, you know? Um, and so then like, that is something very unusual actually for my stuff. Cause most of the stuff for alter, I try to make it very surreal and feel like this other universe or this other place. But for this song specifically, because the song is about, my real life, I felt like it was very appropriate to show, you know, the real experience that I'm living in and to kind of give it that context. And so it just does always go back to the story. But then I have like another video I'm doing right now for a song called V for My Vendetta. And I made that song or video and all in black and white. And I watched a bunch of noir tutorials and like old crime movies to inspire it. And so that shot in a very specific style that's very specific to that song. And so I, I kind of view them just as these little like Item, itemized atoms almost but it, it does help and it, and it does help in the writing process too because you can kind of tell like if a beat's good by how a video or how you would cut a video to it and vice versa you know yeah totally. amen that's super sick I, and i absolutely love the fact that like the thing that you started with was was your guy at guitar center what, what was his name? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he came in. I thought it was like a brand of Russian vodka or something. Polly uh, <laughs> the fucking homie. Yep. Like, oh yep. 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 He's, he's very Russian. Uh, he, he like put you into this whole yeah. world and like transported you to this place with professional drift motorcycle. By the way, that's just fucking cool by itself. And like, 
like just like, oh yeah i mean that that it's so it makes me so mad that, that that song sucks so much like i wish the song was better because then that video would be i'd be able to show it but it's just it honestly is this cringe moment for me every time i watch it because of my because of me not because of that video but it was so cool to be a part of for sure yeah. so <laughs> he immersed you into the world of like what you could do with a music video and now you're coming full circle back to basically being able to create that music video and stun people with with your production uh, did that happen as a result of kind of being delved into that early on or was that more something you were interested in already how did that come about work doing the videos yourself yeah i it's Ooh. actually really interesting i've always had sorry it's the internet right now i'm not trying to cut you off but i think i might be <laughs> no it's all good man um, experience yeah, little bands, sure. man i'm gonna see if uh I'm, i just switched uh the view up on my computer and maybe it'll it'll send a smaller video to you all right check one two check check all right yeah you're back seems like you're more uh, in real time now if I if I heard Kenny's question correctly, it's just about basically videography and if if Vitaly's influence played a role in that, or if I was yes. doing it beforehand. Yes. Yeah. So I think I think definitely a little bit of both. I think he accelerated it like by pouring gasoline on the fire. But I actually have an old folder from when I was very little, like ten, where I I had a very old VHS video camera and i would make graphics and paint and i would take my own photos and i was trying to learn like photoshop one you know and so i've always had the desire to be like a multimedia creative but i think that um the only part that was ever like provided for me resource wise was the microphone by my grandpa and i think video cameras um i got a little bit later still before i met vitali i got like a canon t3i and like one of those old magnetic um stabilizers the pre-gyros and um i tried to shoot some things like that because i really wanted to but back then like video editing software even like final cut or premiere wouldn't even run on the macbook i had so it was like impossible to like learn it the um the feedback of like you know if you if you put an effect on you'd have to like let it render and it was just it was just too much to learn for me as a kid also trying to learn audio so i feel like i kind of did always have the capacity and the passion and the you know the, the, the desire to do that but um, it was a very big part about him providing me the gear. Same thing with the microphone with my grandpa, you know, uh, later on, he, he allowed me to use his cameras to practice. And so I was able to grow much faster than I would have on my own with his help. And then also, of course, he was a you know professional photographer, so he would uh, know all the settings. And, and if I was like, Hey, I want to shoot a video and this, and this is what I want it to look like or whatever. He'd be like, Oh yeah, that's like this ISO and this lens. And you know, they're using light this way. And he'd break down shots to me in a way that wouldn't have been just like YouTubing if I, if I was like looking it up on my own. And so, um, definitely had the passion, definitely like had the prerequisites, but Vitaly like was, yeah, a hundred percent of the reason why I'm as good at video as I am now, because you know, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to to be around someone and ask those questions or have access to those types of lenses and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. I feel like for someone like you that wanted to do that from the jump and was also making music, I know that for sure a lot of people listening to this probably, you know, at least want to do some graphic design for themselves, if not for the reason that they want it to be exactly how they want, but just because they don't have the money to pay someone else to do it. How did, do you have any advice for people if they're trying to like learn both at the same time? Is there like a minimum viable product that they should be focusing on? Or 
how do you how do you both get good at producing music and all of this other visual art style stuff things? That's a really good question. And I think it, it leads into a really powerful segue that I, I can answer really powerfully now. And I don't think I knew this consciously then. And so maybe this will save someone some more time than it's than it was for me. But I really love learning. And I and I mean that in the truest sense where I, I, I think some people like approach a subject matter and there is this like because of the way that society is or whatever, there's this, there's this fear around it. Like, Oh no, I'm going to like not be, you know, like good at it or whatever, or I'm not going to like it. Um, and so there's like an intimidation to certain types of technology or certain softwares or certain tools. It just seems like when you first look at even a DAW, you know, you're like, it's hieroglyphics and it's kind of scary. Um, but then the more you use it, of course, it becomes this like really powerful tool. And so the first tip I have for anybody is just like, don't put a limit on yourself and your identity. If you think you're a musician, cool. Don't say I'm not a graphic designer though, or I'm not a videographer. You're an artist and you can do the same tools. Essentially they're software and you press buttons and then something happens. And so I think like with that philosophy at its core for me, I now have even taken the ceiling off myself in, in, in many different ways. Like currently I'm, I'm dabbling. I'm not a professional in any sense, but I'm looking into like TensorFlow and Python and I'm trying to learn AI um, now and like, you know, doing all of that kind of stuff. And that would be previously something that I would have not identified as and been intimidated to do because I'm not a coder in my head. I'm an artist, right? But I feel like I, I like this year and, you know, the previous year, I've just slowly realized that there is literally nothing that is any different about any of these things. They're all done on a computer or a cell phone. And um, it's really just understanding how you need to break things down and, and what your process is to like effectively learn them. And so I can kind of dive into that now. For me, I have a notepad, um, a note system in my Apple Notes. And I, I, I structure my learning in a way where when I first come into a new topic, I just watch a bunch of YouTube tutorials and I'll screenshot the most important thing out of, out of the tutorial that I found useful. And I'll put it in a notepad and I'll write some notes on what it is or whatever. And I'll link the tutorial above it in case I want to reference it again. And I'll do that for about a week and I'll have this long notepad of all this like general knowledge in the sphere and the space. And then after I've acquired, yeah, I'm just gonna pause for a second. Let your uh, let your buffer. Everybody still up. hear me? Yeah, you <laughs> just got you just got uh, clean again. It it was uh, cool. it was like trying to rush to catch up with you, and and you started sounding like a, a galactic space bug. Sounded pretty cool to thing. be. Honest. We were yeah, yeah. It was very, very cool. We should definitely <laughs> we should definitely sample this podcast later. Hell yeah! Ooh. Mad mad cool chiptune glitch vibe. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, we definitely caught that you would hop into YouTube video, watch a tutorial, screenshot, you know, the part that was, you know, like the most like kind of memory inducing part that seemed like the most important visual. And then you would go into the uh, go into the notepad with that and like take a bunch of notes on that. Yes. OK. And I guess the macro concept of that is that like I I view myself now as like a cyborg. Um, and so the notepad to me is like the, is the, is my, um, is my brain essentially. It's just an offloaded part of my brain. And so the more organized that I can be in my file structure on my computer and in my notes, the faster that I can accelerate this learning. And so I found a way now, for instance, like, um, if we're talking video or whatever, I'll look up all the plugins. Like what are the, what are the cool tools that are used? What are the different softwares? What are, what is, what is the whole picture kind of look like? And then I'll start to dive in based on the project that I'm doing. So once I have a general scope 
of the of this field or understanding that I'm like I want to do something within this field. Let's say it's videography, and I wanted to like do an eye replacement. I wanted to take you know someone's eye and replace it, the pupil with something else. So I just look up eye replacement, and then when I do that, it's going to be really hard, and it's going to do it's going to be using a bunch of tools and things that are like above my level of understanding. And so I'll work backwards. I'll be like, okay, if they're like talking about masks for eyes and after effects or whatever, it's like, what's a mask? Then I'll look up masks and I'll, and then they'll be like, oh, masks are done with this pen tool. It's like, what's the pen tool? You know, and just keep going back until you literally hit the baseline knowledge of where you're like, okay, now I know where we are. And it's super hard and frustrating. You know, it's not like gratifying necessarily. You do that, you know, on two or three things you'll you'll understand it really deeply and in in a very active learning way where you, it was completely applicable and contextualized to the stuff that you were passionate about and so you don't have to learn all of the other um you know nonsense that you did in that first phase where you put it all in the notes because like that's not even in your brain that's just in your notes and so the in your brain part comes to comes about from doing a project that does have purpose so it's like i think that's why i like shooting music videos for alters because even though i never quite achieve my vision with them like i said i feel like in the process of achieving the goal that i set out to achieve i have to learn new skills um and new ticks new tricks new 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 things to to get there and so then i for the next project that skill is like way more solidified than if i just was learning in general after effects and trying to like remember all this information that may or may not actually be useful to the thing I'm doing. But to, to do that type of thing, you do have to have a basic understanding what features may exist that you can use to do certain things. And it, those will inspire ideas, you know, like the eye replacement example, you're like, oh, whoa, masks are pretty cool. Like maybe I can use masks for something else. And, you know, then you, you'll have these other new ideas off of learning that feature or whatever. But I think, yeah, just that main thing that I really just try to tell everybody, no matter like who is listening seriously, you can do it. Like it really is. I'm super average. I'm not like hyper intelligent or anything. It's like, I just have like uh, a willingness to put the time in and, and to not be mad that like, it doesn't look cool in the first like few months. Um, so like I just spent the last six months learning blender, which is like a 3d software and um, it did. It literally took me seven months to finish this one project. But now that I know that all the skills that I had to learn for that project, I can utilize much quicker now, you know, the second time and I could do the same thing now in a few weeks. But it, it was just like shooting that high and, and structuring my learning in that way where it, all the skills I had to learn were in context of this project. It made it super useful because I could learn the things that I needed to learn to do what I needed to do. And then in the process, I, I was able to explore the software and kind of like you know, okay. I, I like an example was like, I wanted these starry night skies to reflect off of these shapes in a certain way. So I had to figure out how to put a world, um, background in and like, um, you know, what, like how to set the reflections and to be a certain way or whatever. And so I wouldn't have figured that out if I didn't have that objective. And, and even if I figured it out, just cold searching, like how to change the world background, I might not contextualize that information in my brain in a useful way to remember it for later. Totally. But, yeah. That there's a really good point you make there about learning is having the context for why I'm about to go learn. This is so clutch. Like you got to learn Spanish, but you don't live in a Spanish speaking country and you're not going to one. So why, why am I doing this? You've got a trip plan and your body next year to Spain. You are going to be more motivated because you know, it's going to be useful coming up. So you're going to have same thing with like, okay, overarching context of doing this video project 
I have a few things I'd like to do. Now I've got to learn four skills to get there. And the motivation comes and it's all linear and it makes sense to why you're doing it. And then you just have everything you learned in your toolkit. And it's, it's both conscious and subconscious because your, your body is programmed, you know, like through evolution and stuff to, to retain things that are useful. And when you go to bed at night and you sleep and you dream, what's happening is it's clearing out all the information from the day that is not relevant and, you know, just letting it like, like go away. That's why you remember certain things you don't remember other higher emotions are remembered better. You know, if you're really happy or really sad, you probably have memories from like really embarrassing moments, but also like really awesome days that are stored differently. And so I guess for me, when I'm learning different skills, different fields, I I approach it with low intimidation. And then I just, I just try to attach it in a way that, yeah, it does have meaning and purpose and context so that consciously I can care about it. But then even subconsciously, my brain's not throwing out the information every night because it's like, this is, this is relevant. (laughs) We need this to survive. Dude, I love (laughs) I love that you mentioned it and put it in that context too. Like, like everyone knows that one thing that you said to that group of people that did make any fucking sense and they all laughed at you. And for some reason that still pops into your brain 10 years later. Like, why did I fucking say that thing? Say that. Yeah. Time? Because your brain is like <laughs> supposed to be using that. Like I had a hunt today. I threw the spear too high and I missed my target and now I'm starving. I need to learn from that. Now, it's not intended for yes. something that you said to that group of people, but it does. You need to understand that to be able to leverage that and let that dumb thing that you said go and use all of these techniques to learn things faster and ingrain them to yourself. Um, exactly. I fucking love how I prepositioned a question with, uh, here's the limit. How do you work within that limit? And you're like, fuck your limit. Here's how I do the thing. All of it, all of the things. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's just cause like, it, it is that, like, I think that anybody, like I, I, I just see it a lot. Like I teach people a lot of the skills that I know and in, in various things, Photoshop video, I'm always down to be a mentor whenever I can. Cause I've had a lot of awesome ones. And so whenever I have the time, that's something I do, but the, the biggest problem across the board is intimidation. Like anytime, anybody, no matter, even people that are very confident people, like you put them in something new that they're not familiar with or that they don't identify with is the bigger one. I think it, it, where they're like, this isn't me. I'm not a graphic artist or I'm not a football player or I'm not whatever. Then all of a sudden it's like a pass. Your brain's like, we can give, we can give no shits about this. This can just go and you cannot try. And I think like that important thing to do when you approach learning something that you, you want to learn is like, just know that you can. I mean, it's really as simple as that. Like everybody can drive a car, right? But like when you're first driving a car, you're like, oh God, the car, it's like scary. And like, I don't know, like when I was doing my driver's test back and around a corner, you know, you're like freaking out. But then like, you know, it's like so second nature to everybody who drives. If you drive a car and you're like, you, you know, you're like, oh yeah, it's just like, you can multitask, you can listen to music, you can talk to people. Like it's, it's very, um, reflexive once you get into the the face the, the the phase of it and i that's how anything is anything can be like that so i think it's just uh yeah i think we're just conditioned to like uh have these really easy interfaces on apps 
and like Facebook or, or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, they're, they're, they're designing the interface to be as low friction as possible for your limbic system. And so it's just like, it's very gratifying. It's very easy to get in and like kind of create something or do something. But with these more professional softwares, the, the goal is not low friction. The goal is like most potential outcomes. So they're, they're designing things in a way where it's like, you can do all these things. And I think for someone that's coming into, let's say Photoshop, that's just massive. They're like, what, I don't even know what all these buttons are. Like, what would I even use that for? What even is that feature? And it's just, yeah, getting some, getting some layout. And then once you have that layout, um, contextualizing why you need to learn it and starting with like a, a simple project and then just do it. It might take you a few months, but once you do that one project, you'll have learned everything you need to do that for yourself forever. And then you, you know, you have like an evergreen skill. Yeah, I absolutely, I, I love that, that the, your way of learning, it makes so much sense. Obviously, you've, you've been very successful learning that in a music video sense. Um, I'd love any insight into how you've applied that system to music production. If it's basically just the same, look up a tutorial, how to make a growl bass, put it in that song and learn how to do it. Or if there's any other things, music production focused kind of segue into your, your tunes that we could talk about. Yeah. Well, so I guess I've been producing now for almost 11 years. So it's been a long time since I was in that fresh, fresh like mindset. And, I, and, and I'll be a completely honest, production becomes less and less interesting to me every year because I feel like I am at like a top percentile of understanding for what I want to do in it. And so um, there isn't the same uh, like joy now or novelty to things because I kind of have experimented so much I've made. Uh, you got, I think you got, uh, you got a lag going on. No worries, bro, bro. Yeah. But you're saying like the kind of the production isn't the exciting part anymore because you're kind of already at a high level where of doing what you want to do and what you want to be. But, uh, and then you started talking about working with other artists. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I want to, I don't want to step over even the question. I I'm, I'm trying to find a useful way to answer it because I think for me, like, Yeah, I like I like the newness of things. I like when I first am learning it, like now that I've done that with so many different skills, that's the fun part about the artistic process to me is coming into a new frontier and exploring new systems. And so the systems that I've been exploring recently now are more in the songwriting end, the lyrical end, the melody end, um, the compositional end, um, and less about like the technical like sound design end that's almost like taken care of now. Like I have that figured out for, for what I need to do. And even for the other artists kind of like, I have a system that just yields the results that I want or, but the writing end for me is where I think that I I am the weakest and where I have the most potential in my process. And I think that that's when I like, you know, and being a singer, I guess, even being a vocalist and, you know, doing those kinds of things. And so I've been moving more into that direction, but on a production end, um, I, everybody should probably focus on first if I was to give advice. Yeah. So we'll just bass, sub bass and drums, I guess, like in general, the groove, um, and then the, the low end energy, because if you can figure out how those are mixed and how those are, are arranged, the top end is honestly what decides the genre and like the texture of the snare, the texture of the sub decides the genre, but every single modern contemporary genre that i'm aware of uses those components unless it's like ballads yeah that's a good point man we've actually i'm glad you touched on that because that's something we like to bring up um as we you know it over cross episodes is that like if you know if the subs the drums are hitting the song's hitting and if they're not hitting the song is not hitting in any kind of modern 
danceable, bassy, hip hop, dubstep, trap, whatever you're trying to do. The, if the subs and the drums work, it carries the song and it's way easier to make the rest of it work. And if they're not working, the song falls apart no matter how good the rest of it is. Yeah, I'll frequently find myself like doing, you know, making the drums, fit, filling out the hi-hats, you know, getting getting the sub going underneath. And then like when I finally get to the mixing stage, like then I'll have to solo just the sub and the drums and go like, okay, like really how how are these working? And then it's like another two to four hours of actually like getting these to hit and be all lined up with each other and sound tight and punchy and clean. Um, at least for me, I don't normally start with drums or sub ever. And so it's like being, being an afterthought already, like you do like it's inescapable. You have to come back to it and make sure that those by themselves drum and sub, get your booty shaken. And if not, you got to keep working until they do, because those are the things that people are dancing to. The rest of the stuff on top is providing the emotional context, the intensity, the flavor, but you, you're not going to dance to, to well, shit drums that don't work. So I have like a folder of just sub patches and, you know, my favorite drum samples, obviously that I've made for myself or whatever over the years. And it did take a long time to curate that. But how I did that was if I had a record that I had already put out that was hitting really well and I listened to it later and I was like, Oh, I kind of like that. I just save those patches in a folder so that I can always re-reference them again later. So I have a lot of different subs and a lot of different kicks and stuff. But when I'm sketching out a song, I actually don't even worry about sounds until the very very end because that is basically mixing to me is sound design um so I've, i i just strictly come in now and, and like you said worry about the compositional musical elements and the melodies and like kind of the grooves and just get whatever will get that process moving and if if i use the final sub in the beginning then cool but i don't ever try to do that i just kind of like get the idea down and then I have those presets that once I'm in that mix phase, I just start experimenting with which sub patch sounds the best or which kick. It's a very, the production for me is very contextually based on what the song is doing. And so even with the sub specific patch, it's like, I don't know what I want it to be until I hear, I hear it in the composition. But just like from a producer standpoint, if I was to like practice with something and like really try to learn something again, and it would be the most important thing, it would be just kicks and subs and drums and then, you know, in whatever, in whatever way you want to practice that you could just spend a whole day making a hundred different sub patches and that might yield some cool stuff, but that also could just be very, uh, a very bad way to approach it because you're not approaching it with any sort of passion with. Yeah. That's like the, the argument to like write all your lyric, uh, all your melodies and chords, like in the init patch, just like a basic saw wave. Because if it sounds good in that, it'll sound good in anything. I'm curious though, because I, I love your process because I'm the same way. So like, you got to get the melodic meat first. And then like, once you get that, then you know it's going to work. And then you can figure out the things to express that later. I'm curious, because it sounds like you even get further into that process before you land on the sounds you're going to use. Do you find that when you get to the mixing stage, you ever have issues when you find that perfect sub and that perfect pluck and that perfect lead that fits the attitude that you're going for, but don't necessarily work together in a mixed sense. Um, what do you, what do you do to kind of solve that problem when you get to it? If you run into it all the time and I literally release them still, I guess is the shortest answer. Uh -huh. Like I, I was doing a, a walkthrough of my last V for Vendetta track and I was like listening to some of the sounds in doing the tutorial 
And I was like, man, like these don't work together very well. Like I had a lot of like clutter in this, you know, song or whatever, but I love that song. And I just, I guess that's the point is that like, if I feel it, um, the rule of like, even the reference, like I'm referencing some track I really love and I'm like, it's not hitting as hard or whatever. I'm just like, that's cause they're different. That's cause they made some decisions and some sacrifices that I didn't make and didn't want to make. And so then as long as I'm cool with that and I'm understanding, like I'm sacrificing some headroom by putting in more low mid energy in this track, but I, I want it to feel more like a rock record and it's not as important that it hit like a hip hop record or whatever. And so, yeah, all the time I run into that literally in every single song actually, where there's just like, there's something that doesn't work and I, but I like it for the sake of what it is and I want to keep it. And I, and I just like, I, I just, at that point start to get into the more like crafty ninja stuff in the mixing where it is very hyper-technical um, in a way or, or experimental, like just some weird shit where I'll be like, I don't know, like automating some EQ in some weird way with a compressor, with a reverb, and then also side chaining it to the MIDI and just doing all these to just work enough, you know, just to like, so that it retains some sense of like commercial viability and not totally, you know, fucking off the whole mix. But I, I really rarely ever am like, oh man, like I really like this musical element and it's not working in the mix. I guess I'll just take it out. Like that, even though I think that that is an industry thing to do and anyone listening, like that's probably the right thing to do maybe even is to take it out but like i guess just for like my style my vibe and what i choose to do and the type of artist that i am i'd rather just feel it even if it's not feeling like as low or as heavy or as bright as something else it's just like if the emotion in the in the music is there um and and then the feeling i think that's like why lo-fi is so popular because you have that like sense of like it's not perfect but it's still felt there's no sacrifice of attitude for for a clarity of mix especially nowadays where like we've talked about this on the show before but like authenticity is the number one thing that matters and if those sounds that you put in there are really like hitting an emotional center for you like with their textures or whatever like that is actually more important than the mix just being picture perfect studio pristine um i i have to say like you have like a very innate sense of confidence in your artistic decisions that that uh, is really translating and all these answers you're giving i'm gonna hit you with a tough question i love it let's go that, deep yeah that, that confidence which has obviously served you very well in your artistic choices did that was that a learned habit through like you know just getting good feedback on what you were making even though it wasn't perfect and then you continued to build confidence on I, you know, what I know is, is working and I'm going to push this or did someone kind of help you along the way to kind of guide that? Or I guess, because you get a lot of people that like have that confidence in, no, I want it to be this way, but the result isn't as good, maybe from technical failures in the, in the sure. production or, from whatever else it is, the translation doesn't happen. Obviously, that's not an issue for you. So that that confidence in, even though this isn't perfect, it's the way I want it and it's going to work. Where did that come from? Well, yeah, that's a really good question too, man. You, you got him. Uh, I, think, I think there's two levels to this. One is that I do have things that don't work too. Like I put stuff out all the time that doesn't hit the way I would hope it would. I had a record, a good example that um, it's called Pilot. 
and it's it's kind of a catchier like pop type record and everybody pre-release was just like this record's gonna be huge man this is such a good song and like really hyped me up and i was like i liked it too i like all my records but i was like yeah okay cool hell yeah i put it out and like it did all right but it really was like honestly it's one of my least streamed records and then other stuff that i really like didn't think was going to be even accepted or loved at all ends up being loved a lot and like maybe not the most stream thing but i guess i've seen that like everybody has a different opinion and the only thing that i can do to to mitigate risk of like failing the mark is to properly pre-vet it with a lot of feedback and um we can go into my process for that i think it is really useful to talk about but the confidence definitely comes from hitting the mark enough times where something when i feel it beforehand before release or in the studio when i it's like it literally this is how i explain it i see myself on stage at coachella like main stage main set playing that record or whatever or i have this other vision sometimes where i'll be like it'll make me feel rich i guess is the only way i can explain it like i feel like a millionaire and i'm like oh man dude like this is going to change my life like i can feel this record and and i've had that happen about you know, like 10 times, maybe like, honestly, and like, when those happen, it does blow up. Like those records are my most streamed records. And so I guess there is an intuition that I do know when it's right. Because like, it's not me. It's just we all know when something's right. If we put something on, and it's good, it most people will be like, thumbs up, that's good. You know, and like Spotify data would suggest the same thing. You know, of course, like algorithmic playlists are like the main way that a lot of indie artists are like surviving on Spotify and it's not the big curated playlist. It's just like radio discover weekly. Um, you're what the, uh, the daily mix ones, those ones are huge. And so if you have a song that you liked, that was very authentic and you're tuning into that radar, I find that it translates algorithmically because we are very similar human beings and, um, we like similar things in similar genres. And so, I guess you're right. It's a little bit of both. Um, the confidence comes from like, yeah, having immense amounts of vulnerability and, and getting a lot of feedback from a lot of different kinds of people and then understanding how to weight the bias though of certain people. You know, if some like person that's maybe um, a music lover, not a music producer even, and they say, oh, I don't like this. I actually like tend to take them more seriously because I feel like they're not biased to the production. They're just literally listening to it like a song. Or whatever but then if a producer's like yeah man you know the the, the mix on this is just uh, it could be better or whatever they're not even listening to the song maybe anymore they're they're judging it off of like what they what they think is cool and what they're into in that moment and so like it's useful still and you can still hear that advice but i find that like understanding how to take feedback from where and how much you take it and what part of the process all of that allows me to feel very confident with the record when it's done. And then when I can do that and replicate it across different brands, different artists, different people, and, and create that success for multiple people, I do start to have this, I guess, like you said, inherent confidence in my belief that like, I, I understand it a little bit, you know, I don't know that I have it figured out or that I'll have it even figured out forever. It could have just been like, maybe I've been really lucky these last four years and the next four years are going to suck. Who knows? Ah, but it's man. just like that feeling of like, I feel like I can express the emotions that I have inside and know that when I, that they're going to be received the way that I meant them to be. And like that, I guess I have a confidence in that now. It's like, I know what I want to say and I know how to say it in a way that you'll get it. Yeah, and then like, yeah. that's, that's really it. I think I, that you, you touched on a lot of really important stuff there, but the biggest thing is that your artistic confidence doesn't exist in a vacuum. You still 
are having a very highly intelligent weighting of feedback from different people understanding why their perspective exists and being able to navigate your artistic confidence versus the thumbs up, thumbs down of an average person. It's not the dude that's a year in going, I don't care if this is 10 dBs too loud. I think it's sick. Like there's a difference between that and like, no, like I, this, this is going to work. I, yeah, I, definitely. Cool, man. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to ask as somebody that's been in it as long as you have and has written a lot of music and, and experiments with so much stuff. Do you have any like go-to methods if you're ever feeling like creatively you're doing the same thing over and over again? Do you uh, like try to find new reference tracks or do you try to mess around more with like video stuff or um, rendering kind of stuff? Or like what's your process there when you start to feel, um, I don't want to say a block, but if you feel like you're repeating yourself creatively? Yeah. I try to get into a place of play because I think that that is where all those really cool, like break pattern breaks happen. You know, if you're, if you're coming at songwriting from a very compositional standpoint, you can still make magic. And a lot of my records happen that way. But if it's like, yeah, I feel like I'm getting stale, I'm sounding the same and I want to sound different. Then I guess the goal, like for me is to push myself so far outside of it on purpose, but approach it from a compositional side. Sorry, man. I think we're chopping out here again, and I really want to catch this answer here. I know, right? <laughs> Bounce gang, we call this low bands, low bandwidth moments. Low in the track for all. Low bands don't make her dance. Low bands <laughs> don't make her dance. No, they don't. Too choppy to have a rhythm. Yeah, I mean, fuck. Maybe we all stop our video and we'll just. All stop it. Don't worry. All right. Yeah. Let's see if we can hear each other better now. All right, sorry about that, man. I think you were talking about play and and trying to get as weird as possible and pushing totally left field from what you've been doing, uh, but sort of missed some of that in-between stuff there. Yeah, I can just restart it. So I guess, yeah, getting into a place of play is really important for any sort of breaking patterns because like what you're you're doing otherwise is working from a cognitive place. And I think like working from an emotional place or uh, is where there there is more chaos and more randomness and more flaw and more risk, I guess. And so the the time horizon, you know, you, you you're like you're not sure what you're committing to. Whereas if you you're familiar with how your process goes, you know, like oh, it takes me this much time to like write this type of record or whatever, so I can sit down and do these things and put the drums in and put the chords in and put the melody in, and then I get this kind of similar sounding thing. But if you're like, oh yeah, I want to do something different, then you just kind of have to you have to switch the process. The process equals the product. And so if you can figure out how to switch the process up, you're going to get a better product. But for me, I like to play. And that is the most useful way that I break through writer's block is to have fun with it. And so that having fun with it can be different at every moment. And I think um, it, it is very dependent on what level of skill I have in that thing. If I have more knowledge in the area, then it's harder for me to play because I am more cognizant of what's going on and I understand how it all kind of works. And when I put myself into a genre, a tempo or a rhythm or an area that I'm not as familiar with, then more random things tend to happen. And that's where I think the fresh ideas come from. Love that. I love what you said about the, the, the process equals the product. Have you seen this, uh, uh, doom behind the music YouTube video with, uh, Mick Gordon? Um, he basically goes through how he wrote the soundtrack to the doom video game 
and oh, wow. it's you should watch it uh it send me a link yeah i will i will we're, we're gonna put a link in the show notes because this is this is a 45 minute youtube video that actually did completely change the trajectory of my artistic process for how to go about things and i just loved how deep uh mick gordon went into that exact thing where he was given a very specific prompt um and he normally worked a certain way and used certain things and so instead he started from a concept into hardware that replicated the ethos of that concept and then from there took that and started running experiments through this thing called the doom machine that he made and uh it's just really, really cool. He basically just uses a simple sine wave sub run through this crazy chain of four different parallel chains that he turns up and down. And Ooh, can we talk them. about this type of production? There's yeah. a there's a word for this. I think I call it I call it procedural production. Um, and I got that term from actually the 3D side. There's a there's a software called Houdini, and it's a procedural modeling software. And, and the way that it works is very similar to that. It's just a bunch of chains, and you tie together these nodes, and then these different sequences and orders of nodes create this final result. So it's very like procedural driven process. And you change the order of a node or what the node is doing, and it drastically alters the final end because it's kind of like DNA, where uh, a small change, like in the, if you change that sine wave to a saw wave, in his example, the sa- the final output would be completely different. Or if you change the pitch of that sine wave, it's going to be completely different because the chain is so complex and there's so many um, responding components at different intervals that uh, it it just it has that like that approach to it. And so yeah, the procedural approach to production is my when you asked earlier like um like what do what do i do with production or whatever it's very much that i i have a procedural approach where i will create sounds and then resample them in a certain way and run them through a certain type of chain and it it yields completely different results every time but they're still they still they still all sound like me i guess and so even though they're like completely texturally tempo everything different um the procedural approach for me gives me that um, sense of, of randomness every time where right? it's unexpected. I'm like, Oh, cool. Wow. That's a really weird sound. And then like, okay, like let's figure out how to fit that in. But I think that that, that procedural approach is, is used a lot in the, in the visual 3d realm. And I, I think it's funny because like coming back into Ableton after doing that, I was like, this is how I've been producing the whole time. I just didn't know that this was like a, a thing, like a name, <laughs> but that's awesome. That's it's definitely true though. I think a lot of people, when they're just starting out, don't realize the importance of something like that because it creates a palette of sounds that although might be varied, came from a similar place. And so it feels like, the example that I like to use is the coloration of a film, right? Like every film has a specific set of colors that is referenced and enhanced and others are basically forgotten or pushed into the background so the whole film feels like the consistent coloration and emotional quality from those colors you don't go from exuberant rainbow colors to dark black with like hints of purple like the the film has a consistent coloration and you need to approach your sounds from the same standpoint where you're not using watercolors for one stroke and then charcoal paint for the next or whatever you know you can't just grab two random sounds from a a live do different libraries and expect that they're going to sound great next to each other it's going to feel like you're driving the bus all over the road 
you want to actually be more intentional with creating your soundscape so that everything feels like it came from the same moment in time or the same emotion and stuff like that. Like you talked about procedural approaches to film cutting or I think about it like, Oh, yeah, sorry. Go, I jumped no. in. I got excited. I was, yeah, I'm, no. I'm, this is like something I'm really jacked about. 100%. I love, I love it. Like, um, the procedural approach is more like how I think about it is like, um, is like a DNA is like a DNA strand where it's like this little bit of information at the beginning. And then the DNA grows into us, you know, like the, the code is like a whole human body, but the simple little thing is like, you know, this one single strand wrapped around this cell or whatever. And so like when you change something super subtle at the DNA level, you can have a whole different human being at the top level. And so that's where I think like with the, these sounds and these chains, like in the audio world, the, if you have like, let's say like, let's put like, a, imagine there's like a saturator and then there's a chorus and like a flanger and then some reverb. And then there's like a pitched, pl like pitch down plugin and then a frequency shifter and then a resonator all in sequence. Um, and then you, you put a sine wave through that you're going to have some weird sounds. Now, if you tweak maybe the, the chorus, because that's earlier in the chain, the, the effect of that will be more massive because it's going through all those other resonators and those other frequency shifters. So at the end, that one small change will have a very different sound on that final output sound. And so with the procedural approach, what makes it so cool is you can take a giant massive system, which it sounds like is what he was doing in that Doom example, and change the input. And that's it. And then you have these massively different sounding outputs and but they're all unique to that specific procedural chain and so it's like you have this um the ability to almost tweak the dna of these sounds is like how i like to think about it and uh the more complex the chain and the more complex the routing the more diverse of a result you'll get at the end and so i save a lot of these chains if i make them I, like i'll call them like resample chains and then I'll bring them into sessions sometimes and I'll, to have fun. I'll, sometimes I'll just take like a snare and run it through it. And then I'll resample that and I'll run that again through the input and back out the output. And then I'll take a different chain and I'll just keep doing that until I find something that's really, really cool. And then sometimes that thing that's really, really cool only ends up being in the final track for like two seconds. It's like a fill or like a, a riser or something weird. But those moments... I've just gotten that feedback, I guess, from everybody, whether it's like a producer or a listener, that the texture in my music is a component that draws them in. And I think those textures come about from those um, those moments of experimentation and playfulness with that procedural approach. And and it's because like they set they seem so like um, so intentional on the on the back end because of how I compose them into the music, but the way that they were created is very unintentional. And it's chaotic almost. And then I just kind of organize them in a way at the end where they seem like it was on purpose. <laughs> that part, that part, absolutely. Like we talk about happy accidents all the time, finding those ways to just set yourself up to find out what happens. And then, like you said, make intentionally pick the piece of the chaos that really grabbed you and intentionally use it in a rhythmic spot in the song that makes sense to the listener in the narrative of the song you put together from that chaos. Yeah. I, I really, really love the, the DNA reference that makes that in my brain, that makes just a shit ton of sense. I also think that's 
that's why when you know sometimes people will be like how do i find my sound and it's almost like no it's almost like other way around it's like your sound kind of finds you like after working in your software for enough time you have certain moves that you like to make you throw like yeah certain moves that i make with distortion or like throwing a chorus before that distortion like certain settings like you end up like doing those moves again later because you liked the result that you got the first time and then over the course of your music production journey you start to do you know these 25 to 30 moves more often and, and on different things and all of a sudden before you know it there's a sound to what you're doing not because you were like i want to make this sound but because like the things that you like gravitated you towards these moves that then resulted in the sounds that you were making and so your dna reference is essentially just that same thing like the moves that you make are based on your taste your dna and then that influences the rest of your sounds and results in the music that you ultimately make and when you look back on your discography you'll be like oh that was my sound you know that's the process equals product. And that's exactly what I mean. Like that process for you and those moves you call them are like, that's the process. And so that will always equal that product. And, and, and to answer that first question that started all this again, that's what, that's how I get out of that box. If I feel like I'm achieving the same product over and over and over again, then I do. I'm like, okay, it's because I'm using these same moves. So all I have to do is figure out some new moves today. And there's no way to do that without just like literally throwing a bunch of shit at the wall in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I love that for, um, yeah, anyway, for, for a few reasons. I think the biggest is cause a lot of people come with the misconception that you have to like come pre-plan knowing all this crazy shit and all their favorite artists are methodically planning out every step. And really it's just, you know, showing up and making some happy accidents and cherry picking your favorites. Uh, so I love that. That's a huge takeaway. I think, for, for the listeners. But I was curious, um, when it comes to lyrics and, and vocals, do you first go through that process, get your production down, all of that, and then write the lyrics to that? Or do you try to write like lyrics and chords and then work around that? I, th- I think you touched on it briefly earlier, but I was just curious as far as like how you tie together like the, uh, experimental aspect but still being able to like you know fit vocals to it and make it relatable in that sense like how early in the process does that come great question yeah for me and and like as alter specifically because i'm also doing the production and i'm also going to shoot the video and i'm also doing the engineering there is a certain amount of bandwidth that i can allocate to the song and there's a certain amount of energy like i guess critical energy points that have to be used um, at certain points in the process. Otherwise the song kind of just sits on my laptop in some, in some unfinished form. And so, um, I guess there I'll, I'll try to like divvy this out most of the time on everything that currently is on my Spotify. If you were to go listen to it right now, 90% of that was written as like a chord progression and a drum groove that might not have been produced into like a full record yet, but it did have like the basic components of like the sub and the, the chords and the, the whatever going on. And then I would lay a mumble melody down to that and then I would basically spend like a year or like six months trying to figure out words to that melody and that that sketch. And then when the sketch was done being written lyrically, I would then flush out like the rest of the beat and kind of make the song. Um, but that process 
the product that that equals to go back to what we were talking about is a lot of stress, a lot of wasted production and a lot of um, frustration trying to figure out how to get back to that emotion that I had when I laid the melody down. Um, Especially if it does take six months, you know, you're like sitting six months later and you're like, man, this beat is filthy and this melody is awesome and everybody likes it. They already signed off on it, but I just don't know what I'm even saying. You know, I don't know what this means to me anymore emotionally. And so now um, I have a friend that's really inspiring me recently and she writes lyrics first pretty much every time. And I, I know most songwriters kind of do that. And I kind of came at it a different angle because I never identified it myself earlier on in, in this process as a singer. I just kind of thought like, I'm not really a singer. I'm mostly a producer and a writer. And that's that whole self-limiting belief thing. But mm-hmm. I guess now I'm realizing like the value in starting lyrics first or at least like maybe still like maybe the beat, but like not just laying down a bunch of top line mumble melodies anymore, because contextually it's really hard for me to get back to that, um, that, that place and to write from it. And it's, it still is something that I do. Like I, uh, like the next batch of records that I'm releasing, I think half are written lyrics first and half are written mumble melodies first. Um, and so like there's various forms, I guess, but I find that the, again, the wasted energy that goes into trying to flush out the ideas, the way that I used to do it, it always yielded a result that was great. And I ended with something that people liked, but the process was just such a burden, honestly. And it was so defeating when you would be like spending six months on a record and then it wouldn't get finished or it would just kind of simmer out and die. You'd be like, dang, like I spent a lot of hours on that track and it's, I'm, I just can't put it out like this. It's not going to work, you know? So I hope, I hope that helps, but that's definitely like a challenge that I'm still trying to actively work through right now, even <laughs> honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. it's very reassuring to hear. Cause I definitely feel I have a lot of songs that have fallen to the wayside cause you get so crazy on the production. And then it's like, hmm, what do I say over this? Like it's got a vibe, yeah. but like, and that's where I guess I, I have that confidence now in the production that I know that I can, I can produce to anything. Like I can produce literally to anything. You can hand me anything and I can make something out of it. And so mm-hmm. I now know that like the weakest link of my process as alter is the lyrics and not even the melody. Like I can come up with melodies really well too. And so now I just start with that because I feel like if I'm not saying anything in the lyrics, then I probably just don't need to be spending time on my computer writing songs. I should probably be editing videos or doing some marketing or something else. And then if I have something to say, then I should say it. (laughs) And so that's kind of where I'm like refining now. But um, yeah, there isn't that like that whole thing about having records, like feeling good about the record or whatever. I, I, there's so many ways that at the end of the process, I will feel good about the product. Um, some, some of them just take longer. And so those are those really hard babies to birth. And I guess the, the nice part about it is that those records that I do put that extra time on and they still do get out and see the light of day, they have always paid off in the sense like those, they are some of the most streamed records. They are the ones that opened the doors that I needed opened or whatever. And so I I've always been rewarded for that effort. And it, when the, when I do put in that extra time and energy to make sure that it's right, but it's still just not fun. Sometimes it does fucking take the, it just like squeezes the energy out of it. If you're really cognitive about something and not approaching it from an emotional place anymore. And I find that the most emotion that I have for the song is within the first five minutes. Like when I sit down and I play the chords and I play the drums, like that's when I need to write lyrics. That's when I even should be trying to record final vocals And then if I can get the vocals down within that first 30 minutes, then I know that I can come back 
whenever and produce to it and mix it just fine. And I, and it won't emotionally be difficult, but the opposite, if I produce it first, I could produce the record really good in the first 30 minutes and then like not have any inspiration left for the lyrics. And it's very unlikely just based on my track record that I'll ever get back to it in any mm -hmm. sense that will be like the, the same level of meaningfulness. <laughs> yeah. Relevant. You got to know your process like that. And I think there's a lot to be said for doing, doing that essential piece of the song that is maybe the most difficult for you first and right away, because you know, like I, I remember for like in 2019, one of my main goals was getting faster at production. And one of the hardest things for me was writing chords. So in my timer beat setup, I had like six sections that I would shorten the amount of time I had to do it as I got better at the timers down to where there were like, you know, five minute sections. So I could get a whole timer beat done in 30 minutes. I would start with the chords because for me personally, like throwing down a drum beat or a lyric or a melody is a really quick thing. But putting together chords takes more work and sweat for me. So if I start with the chords and I have to get some chords down first, it doesn't matter what chord progression I come up with. I know I can make a bass line and a melody and drums to it every time reliably. If I have a good chord progression, I can do the rest of that for sure. So like you're saying, make sure you've got the lyrics that are worth putting the rest of the time into first and then go and then follow it up with the pieces of the process you're confident in that you can that you can nail in your sleep. Yeah. And I don't know if this happens to you guys, but I have that problem where I'll like want to be productive, you know, and so like I'll 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 trick myself into feeling productive by just inserting energy into something even if it's not meaningful or or like the best use of that energy. And so like with that threshold and understanding like it it does it does uh, ask the question then it's like okay you know maybe you don't need to write today man like at least like that's how I am now obviously that's not the advice I would give to somebody that's just starting out and like refining the technical skills but I feel like once you have your like process down and you have your sound kind of figured out and dialed it's like find the thing that is meaningful to you in it do that and then like then yeah finish it just finish the track and do you know but there isn't like you know there is just it's just difficult if if you do it the other way and I, I I'm really I consider myself to have like a decent amount of willpower. And so I can force things to come to pass the other way. And that's how I still manage to release records doing it the other way. But again, it just takes a lot of energy and I just don't want to expend that much energy on my songwriting process anymore. I'd rather do other things. <laughs> I feel so. personally attacked. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you thing. mean. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'm all right today. Why isn't it coming out inspired? Yeah. And then like, and then, okay, so I'll do that thing that I'm comfortable with instead and like kill that. Cause I'm really good at that. And then I'll feel good, you know, but then it's like actually still just another beat on the hard drive or whatever. So yeah, I just, yeah, I don't I know. It's, it's definitely like getting to that place where it's, it's fun and I'm enjoying the process, but then, um, on the front end, it's like, I guess with most of the music for Alter, I, I'm trying to even write a song about it, but I just take it so serious. It's such a big part of who I am and my identity that I just could never say something contrived and like for fun. You know, I couldn't just say something just to say it. Like it has to mean something to me. And that's maybe a hurdle and a roadblock that I got to let go. But I think that that makes it really hard to just like put down something that just kind of works with the melody. Even if the melody is really good, I want the lyric to still be like, 
meaningful and, and, mm-hmm. and unique and all those great things that we strive to do or whatever, but it's just harder that way because um, there's a certain syllable count and like a certain function of whatever, if you wrote the melody first, that it requires a certain word or a certain structure of phonetics or whatever. And so um, doing lyrics first then gives you kind of a sense of what the groove should be even. And then you can kind of design the beat around the the cadence that's naturally in the sentence that you wrote um and then yeah i just find that it kind of for me that i'm trying to constantly refine and think about is how to just maximize my time and energy and how to enjoy myself more and more and more every day (laughs) yeah if you're not enjoying yourself overall how long can you really sustain this process of making music i mean pretty much everybody who does music got into it because they loved it you know outside of like having no interest in music and being forced into violin lessons when you're nine or whatever, you know, like other than that, most people doing music as an, as an adult, like really give a fuck, like really want to be here. So find a way to keep it joyful. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I would even say like, cause I love that phrase. It's just like inversely, if you're not doing music as much as you would want to be doing or whatever, it's probably because your process isn't like what you want it to be, you know? And so it's like, it's a burden or it's, it's like, and that's what I was running into. I was like, man, I don't really want to sit and throw months and months and months into one track and then like feel good about it, but feel like it, it wasn't like, it's not going to get game change, go platinum, you know, or whatever. It's like, it's going to, it's going to do, you know what it does. And then I'm, but like the effort, um, the effort paradigm, like, I, I guess like, I love the idea, like, and I, I, with my platform, I have the blessing to see this happen with some of the records where I put in a certain amount of time into producing it. And then when people listen to it and stream it, they get more time out of it than I put into it. It's tracked to me as being successful because then it's like you, you are actually creating energy for other people at that point. It's all positive. And so if, if, um, you know, if you have like, I don't know, a certain amount of streams or something, you can kind of calculate like, yeah, they, they spent this much time with this song and I spent this much time making it. And when you spend six months, like I do making a record that takes a lot longer to break even on the energy paradigm, but I think that um, I think that that is like something I, I strive for all the time. And then I, and I feel really good about it if it does. And I'm like, cool, at least like they're getting out more than I put in, <laughs> you know, that's all I want. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's been kind of a, a, a running theme in the episode about, you know, the intention being like the pursuit of perfection or at least like a better and better result. Um, but with the understanding that no matter what the vision is, there's a, you know, almost complete chance that it will not come out exactly like that. And, um, you know, like whether it's, you talked about it in your video production, like you've got a vision going in and you've got a song that's already completed that you are forming the visual vision, you know, the vision for the visuals around and you go in and then you actually have to let the actual shots happen and then you have to make a real product that lies somewhere between your imagination of what it would have been and the actual shots you got in real life physically. Yeah. And the same with the music, like you have an idea of what it's going to be, but somewhere between the imagination and the reality of the sounds you choose and the happy accidents that happen along the way, you've got to, you've got to find where the Venn diagram overlaps and just make the most of it, do the best you can and move on. No, exactly. Yeah. I feel that a hundred percent. That's a really good way to think about it. The Venn diagram too, because there are songs that, um, you know, don't 
uh, I guess like, no, actually, I don't even know if that's true. I'm just going to leave that one alone. (laughs) (laughs) I want to touch on, oh, Luke, did you want to? Yeah, I want to, I want to kind of book in that thought, like, because like, um, you mentioned, uh, your recent song V for my vendetta, um, you know, having, you know, mix issues that you heard that you know were there, they're known issues to you, but at a certain point you put it out anyways because the emotion's there. And as a person that listened to it for enjoyment as a fan of yours, without my producer ears on, without my like, hey, this is mixed feedback time on my on my student's whip. Like, yeah. I, I pressed play and just rocked out and had a really good time and did not think once like, ah, oh, that sounds bad. I just thought, oh, I fucking love this song. Yeah. And, Hell and yeah. Then, you know, I'm sure you would say you are a more competent producer and engineer now in 2021 than you were, say, four years ago, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And four years ago, you put out that project with Tezza. You know, you put out the um, the Chaos EP with Tezza Talks. And yeah. I fucking love that EP. And like on a technical level, I could listen to your new shit and then that shit and like clearly as an engineer, see your improvement. But like at the yeah. time and still now, the emotion and the artistry of those songs still get me. They still make me want to listen to them because of what you actually created, not because of what they could have or should have been. And that's exactly. important to remember. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it, it is weird, like that project, I actually got really baked the other night and listened to it. And I was just like, man, dude, I was in such a different headspace. I really was so unfiltered. I, I didn't have any like commercial understanding of song structure or anything. I just really just put down whatever felt good. So like the records that did really well also did happen to have those formatting things in them just naturally, but it wasn't a conscious decision. It just kind of happened that way. And so that record, when I listen to it, I get vibes now because I'm just like, wow, man, I was just, I just was doing stuff yeah put it together and like we put it out you know (laughs) and like that that like luckily like really honestly though what makes that that possible is is tezza like she's just such an amazing writer and a vocalist that she's kind of the glue you know it's like i i could have thrown pretty much any beat at her at that time and she would have been down for it and like figured out a way to make it sound cool and so it does help when you have a, a very good writer who can just kind of uh, morph into or onto whatever you, you give them <laughs> and there's just no rules. And that was kind of with that project, the, the process of that was just like anything goes, um, try to make it as like unique as possible in every moment. I guess those were like the two rules we tried to follow. And then everything else was just kind of like, as long as we feel it. <laughs> Amen. Like that, that whole project really inspired me a lot to, to get more experimental in my process and not do what I thought I was supposed to do and just try shit because it was like, wow, these songs don't sound like anything I know, but I really like them regardless of what I thought a song Mm -hmm. was supposed to go like. I just like this and thank you. So thank you. Anteza for putting out such a cool project that that's been inspirational uh, and influential to me. Yeah, I wanna I wanna touch on yeah, some honor, honored man. I wanna touch on something you said that might be a good a good uh, point for us to wrap up on, which is the the positive 
like the positive flow of energy of the music that you write into people, right? So you're saying if the amount of time that you take to write the song is less than the amount of time that people are consuming it and, and absorbing that energy, that's a that's a win. So if we think about that from just a math perspective, say you put 80 hours into a song, I would say for myself, at least for things that I'm like, really, that are really detailed that I like, it's between 60 and 80 hours to get finished, mixed, mastered, done. At 80 hours, if it's a four minute song, that's only yeah. that's only 1200 listens to have that positive flow of energy into the world. And that's that concept in particular is one that I think is actually one of the main reasons that I even started doing music in the first place, because, you know, as a kid, you're you're just having fun, you know, you're, you're not necessarily worried about being productive with your time, you're playing a lot of video games, this and that. And then you hit a certain point at, at some age where you're like, you know, after I'm done playing video games, I don't feel that good about myself. And then like, you get done making a song. And you're like, damn, I feel like I like you even if it's not released, you're like, you feel good about yourself, you feel like you created rather than consumed. And so that, that that's an ethos that really yeah. stuck with me and something that when you touched on that, I was like, I align with that so much because it just feels better to create and put that creative energy into the world and 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 have that positive influence on the energy rather than just um, you know sitting there and consuming a video game or Netflix. I mean, that's all like we all enjoy doing that regardless. But having that positive flow of energy, it's just way more intrinsically satisfying as a human being. And I think that, uh, you know, you being on this podcast and us putting this into the world will have that effect on a lot of people. And I think that uh, it's, it's a really beautiful reminder to people that no matter what you're doing, as long as you have that positive flow of energy in your output, you're, you're doing good. So, yeah. Bars. Yeah. I, I think that uh, we'll definitely have to have you on for a part two. Yeah, I think that honestly, like anyone listening – when you're when you're creating just getting to that place of play and authenticity the results of that energy will always happen i really do believe that and like the marketing component is something that i i i can speak to i think because i've never actually thought about it until i had songs that i was just so like already getting the green light from everybody on you know like i like you'll know when you have a record that's that and like the promotion always just kind of happened as a result. It's like a byproduct. Like if you, if you have a record, people don't want to skip and they want to listen to again. And they're like asking you to send them the song. Then like, you probably have a record that is gonna, you know, like be worth trying to approach some bigger opportunities with. And then if it's not that, then that's just where I feel like I'm always honest with myself. And I'm like, cool. Then that was just for me. And that's fine. You know, like I enjoyed it. I had fun and I said what I wanted to say, or maybe I didn't, but it's just kind of like being detached from the result, but also then like, yeah, when you have the result of that, you know, like that energy um, payoff or whatever, that's where you can, I, I feel good about it as like already being successful in that where it's like, cool, you know, like people got out what I put in. That's all I, all I could ask for. And then anything beyond that point is just awesome because it's digital leverage. You have like the infinite, you can scale it infinitely. So if you have something cool, Technically, every person on the planet could listen to it. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. Amen, amen, amen. Let's uh, wrap it up. I want to give you an opportunity 
to plug your pluggables. Uh, you know, tell the people, you know, this is going to drop uh, the first Tuesday in February, the second. So tell the people what just dropped and what's just about to drop and where they can find it. Yeah. And then can I end with like a final thought to leave people with too? Absolutely. <laughs> Please. Please. Hell yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, so as far as, yeah, my releases, I'm getting back into the flow again. I kind of took 2020, uh, to take some time to just learn my writing process better. And I'm finally getting into the release pipeline again. So I have five singles right now in distro. I'm trying to get like 10 out before summer, honestly. So we'll see what I can do, but I I won't even talk about a specific release. If you just go to my socials, uh, it's at alter X, your X ego on everything. Um, if you search that in YouTube, even that's how I'll come up the alter period because of SEO is just kind of a nightmare, but, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so there'll be, there'll be a lot of new music out. I do a lot of different styles. It's like, just don't judge my sound off one song that you might hear. I do literally everything. I kind of play with whatever. So I have a complete playlist on Spotify that I recommend people check out if they're really trying to dive in. I also Um, recommend that. I really like listening to your music. You know, that I left you voicemails about it. Uh, yeah, dude, you're you're in there, bro. He he, Luke's Luke's on the outro of uh, the, my song called "Too Much," and he's he's literally like at the end of it, and he he was wishing me a happy birthday, and it was just such an authentic moment of joy, and it matched so well with that song. I put it in there yeah, without so telling like, him. How did I not realize that was Luke? What the hell? What? Oh yeah, I and I bumped that earlier today. The day that EP dropped, I was I was it was funny. I was listening to music at work in my day job. And like it was making my day and and I knew it was your birthday. So I called you with that birthday message and to tell you that the music was kicking ass. Um, and then whenever that, you know, however many months later that that EP dropped, I'm at work again that day. And I'm like, ooh, new Alter EP, definitely on the playlist today. Press play, listen to it once through, did not stop and think at all that that was my voice. And then, all right, listen through, <laughs> plus press play again. And the second time it, it was going through like it all of a sudden I could like visualize exactly where I was standing <laughs> and what I was doing in that moment, like sweeping up this basement. I was remodeling like, oh <laughs> God, that's me. Holy shit. And I had to hit you up about it. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm, well, I'm glad you decided to not sue me because I definitely didn't get you to sign any waiver. So <laughs> uh, yeah, no, well, that'll, you... be, that'll be a hundred thousand dollars per voicemail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um hell yeah well that's so yeah that's the music stuff um and then this is the final thought i'm just trying to like put this one out into the universe like this is the main thing that i i feel like i've had the breakthrough on since covid and everything kind of getting more digital um curating focus and attention in the digital age is the most important skill to have and why and i'll I'll try to say this in a way that will really i think it blew my mind i hope it blows your guys's too there is a certain amount of combinations that you could press on any computer that's connected to the internet in the world that would equate to you getting a Tesla at your door. And what I mean by that is like you could learn some skills, you could push some buttons and become a stock trader or a marketing professional or a musician or a, a digital creator of some kind. And you could push buttons in a certain way that, that literally creates wealth for you. And so if you can curate your focus and attention and know what buttons to press on this machine that we're all in front of right now, you can literally manifest almost anything out of it. And it does take the time and that having time is a privilege and spending time is a privilege and having technology is a privilege. But if you're lucky enough to have both of those things, honor the fact that that is literally magic and anything can happen with it. Yes. Incredible. 
Yes, yes. absolutely. That's beautiful. Great way to bookend that. So go out there, humans. And someone's going to like be like, dude, did he really just say Tesla? He probably likes Elon Musk. Well, I don't. So you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I have very few feelings about Elon Musk one way or the other. I've never. Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. You're right. It's not even a strong emotion. He built some really cool rockets, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the human music podcast sponsored by Tesla. <laughs> yeah, put it out in the world. Yeah, dude. Let's get it. money. <laughs> The human yeah, music podcast exactly. going to space with ta- SpaceX. Yeah, we yeah. get those Mars streams up. Yeah, we've been <laughs> working funny on enough, it. Yeah, funny enough, our uh, stats actually show like from different planets. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, Elon, yeah. let's work something out. Yeah, 100% Earth right so now. We're stream we there. some more representation. I wonder how long it would take. Drop on <laughs> Tuesday. What day does the podcast get to Mars? all right well humans go follow alter (laughs) he is fucking awesome four years right i think or something probably all right four years from tuesday you'll hear this on mars (laughs) go follow alter everybody you're beautiful thank you so much for being here homie everybody you guys peace out yeah and as always thank you Peace among worlds. <laughs> Peace among hey. worlds. I like it. Well, all right, humans. That was another incredible episode, and I'm really glad you could be here with us. Thank you so much. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, and leave a comment. All of those good things. Smash those buttons and help us get found by more producers like you. We appreciate you. Make sure to follow Alter at AlterXYourXEgo on all his socials. And also, make sure to support our sponsors, like the Weekly Download, where you can learn from our mentor, Ill Gates. There are over 200 lessons in this video archive. Also, Gangaroo Records Music Distribution, where you can get unlimited uploads for under $10, like... My last two releases came out on them, and my next ones will too. Guest Practices is our final one, where you can learn from Seth Drake, the best engineer we know. Your first class is free. We learn from him, and you can too. All right, humans. Peace out, and peace among worlds.